Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 71 with Austin Souders. It's a great episode with a lot of passion and energy where you'll be sure to maybe learn something, get some level of insight on life. Um, Austin is a terrific soul who works really hard, and you can see just how evident his work ethic is through his detailing of his wrestling career. Not only did he sell for five summers and lead some great teams and sell a lot of books, but he revived a dead wrestling program at Texas A&M soon after he left. Like it was literally nothing. He walked into this wrestling program and built it from scratch almost. Um, And then a few years after he left A&M, they have since gone on to have some individual national champions. So the, the, the key word that Austin shares in this story of his is legacy. And so You know, talking about that gets you thinking, I'm sure, as you listen, what's your legacy, right? There's plenty of things to be said about that word and that concept, and that's a big theme throughout this episode, as well as just having fun, reconnecting. I love Austin. He's a good friend of mine, so I think you'll really enjoy um, the energy of this episode, you know, what gets delivered on and and spoken to. So enjoy episode 71. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us here on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, you know, look into joining our stable, become a Patreon uh, supporter. Check us out through our Instagram bio uh, for any and all details there. So enjoy this episode. Thanks. We can have that saved. Awesome. Welcome everyone to episode number 71 of the Ponytails podcast. It's pretty crazy. Been doing this for a year. Um, Andres, our co-host is off for the day, but uh, I myself, Nick Diverti, am honored to have uh, a good friend in Austin Souders here with us today. So Austin is, uh, was it five summers, right? Or was it four? Five summers out of Texas A&M. Gig them, right? Gig them, gig them Aggies. Oh yes, gig them Aggies. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone in the Southwestern world has like a love-hate relationship with A&M because there's so many great A&M folk. And then there's also like, you're beating every other campus every other year. And Some everyone's like, we campus. hate you Aggies. But uh, I, I personally got a huge heart for you and several others that I met through that great university, that other cult, if you will, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, five summers in the book business. You're, you know, you're crushing it in, you know, your own right. Um, you were looking to become like an Olympic wrestler, I think, at one point. Still yeah. pretty big into wrestling, I'm sure. And, you know, doing some stuff with uh, roofing and, you know, cool stuff over there in Orlando, Florida. So welcome to the show, man. Man, I'm really excited to be here. It's uh, it's funny. I know we were talking a little bit before this all got started, and yeah, it's 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 so cool to get back together with book people. Where I, I look at us, I know I made the joke with you all the time. You know, Southwestern was my second favorite cult I ever joined because <laughs> first one was Texas A&M, and so it is. You know, funny enough, you're saying that I'm making my own Kool Aid right now, and so the. Uh, that's you know A&M was definitely that part for me that that brought the camaraderie and there was its own story in its own right to that brought me to A&M and then uh the same thing when I discovered books uh and how I discovered books and 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 why I decided to do it but um yeah yeah, man life's been a a funny journey I know we were just talking 2022 will be a a decade since I started selling books which is crazy man that's that's the thing (laughs) <laughs> for me it'll, it'll be year nine since my first uh sales school and we, we'd love to blow the doors open hear about this this story here but real quick i wanted to 
give a shout out to Aptive Environmental, one of our sponsors, uh, Nick yes. Warner, uh, for Summer Bookman. He's uh, crushing it in the bug juice or pest control industry right now. And uh, he's hiring. Um, he's, he's doing really well at getting people to knock on doors to sell a simple product. You don't even have to go inside the house. And, um, you know, a lot of people in his, in his base are really crushing it with their sales. And um, he really, really loves helping people achieve, um, you know, high levels of success that breaks down their belief barriers. So um, if you're interested in working with uh, a great quality man, Nick Warner, for a few months this upcoming summer, uh, selling some bug juice, hit us up. Uh, we'll get you in contact with that Nick. And then also Southwestern Real Estate, uh, good old Pat Roach is uh, hiring some real estate agents. Um, if, if you've always kind of wondered, hey, you know, real estate's kind of interesting. This market is, you know, on fire for, you know, sellers in particular. Like there's a lot of really good reasons why um, it would be worth your time and effort to, to get a real estate license. Um, so yeah, Southwestern Real Estate, they take all the best parts of Southwestern. You know, they, they really model that high quality org. Uh, where nobody quits and all that good stuff, right? And everybody hits Sizzler. So um, if you're interested in checking out Southwestern Real Estate, we'll also get you in contact with Pat if you're interested. So yeah, shout out to those two. Uh, we love um, keeping sponsors in the Southwestern family uh, of sorts. Um, but yeah, uh, that said, let's talk about you, Austin. Let's hear about this, this story from about 10 years ago. Yeah. Were, you, were you like a freshman, a sophomore on campus? Who was Austin Souders? When you first heard yeah. about this thing, oh, first and foremost, I was a, a lost kid. Um, oh. But no, I, I ended up. So I went to a military institute uh, prior to A and M, and that's where I had a scholarship to wrestle. That's that's where I really came to know who Jesus was. Is good old Alabama, Marion, Alabama, about you know thirty miles out west of uh, of um, uh, Selma. Uh, if, if you're familiar with history, you know the importance of Selma, and then. Uh, you know, about 45 minutes south of T-Town. And so for all the Alabama Roll Tide fans out there, but it was, yeah, after, after Marion, I, I transferred to A&M strictly because it was, I didn't know how to act. Uh, I've been around a bunch of guys for two years. And so I felt <laughs> like I was in a fraternity, you know, getting in fights, learning how to communicate, learning how to lead a squadron at a, if you would call it that, um, at a school that we were not in the military. Some of us were, some of us weren't. Mm -hmm. And so AM looked very uh, promising as like, okay, cool. I can make a transition back into normal society. Something and, like that. <laughs> and be a person that could actually talk to women instead of just hanging out being a bro. And so um, it, I came in, I was 21. I was already able to, you know, go out and do some things as, as an adult and uh, being, getting a chance. Uh, I was actually a survey. So okay. I wasn't a referral. I didn't know anyone that sold books until I started interviewing and going through the process and then so you were a transfer right a transfer yeah. first to A&M yes. and you were 20 21 years old so junior more more or less right and someone strolls into a classroom right and they're like hey fill out this piece of paper and you're like uh okay yeah all right what was yeah. it that drew you in the what <laughs> what caught me was when the person it's funny the person that did the survey never saw again ever and so he didn't sell, I don't know if he sold books. Thank you, what. mystery person. <laughs> yeah, he a mystery person for, and it was for Taylor Mobley. Taylor Mobley was my uh, student manager. And so he, uh, funny enough, he had actually done, he was in the same degree plan as I was, industrial distribution. And what caught my ear was 
someone said you can make nine thousand dollars that summer and so i was putting myself through college and you know nine never seen nine thousand dollars at that point in time yeah. so i'm thinking man a thousand dollars would be amazing and so when they said nine i was like man okay i can work hard i know how to work hard um let's go figure this out and so ended up going through that process it wasn't until later on that as i went through the interview that uh getting to meet taylor mobley what first caught me was just how sharp he was mm. when he was doing my presentation or uh, informational and uh, how clearly he spoke how sharp he looked and how confident he was and i realized man i i want to be someone i want to be somebody someday and i realized if i'm going to be somebody i'm probably going to have to talk to somebody and so this guy's doing it really well i want to make can i get what you have and um and so that was that was the beginning process and as time went on i ended up finding out some huge leaders or uh, champions in my own life had actually sold books before and so mm. that's what really impacted me that convinced me maybe there's something different about this that i need to stick around and, and learn uh or pick up on I'll, I'll probably catch more than i'll actually uh learn and or uh i guess i don't know what the term is you know you, you catch more than you teach or uh, more is caught than than heard and so something along those lines that right like, right I'll probably learn through osmosis if I'm just around a bunch of great mm. people I'll probably become great along the way so yeah that was uh that was my my beginning process and what kept me around was just the people uh cool, people man. The relationships good stuff so you uh I mean the thing about Texas A&M when there's so many different book people it's like clear that you're joining something bigger than yourself right for yeah. me I was recruited on a, a campus with one student manager and you know I was her first recruit and you know, that's kind of our campus Creighton University you know and so what was it like um joining a cult within a cult at Texas A&M yeah, it's, it's funny I didn't even know it wasn't probably until 2016 that I realized, wow, I am in a cult. Yeah, four um, years later. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, and the first thought was the cult that I thought I was in was A&M. So that's yeah. what it, it finally hit me in 2016. I'm like, wow, my school's a cult uh, in a good way. And right. uh, at the same time, but, um, you know, for me, that, that group, it wasn't really, uh, <laughs> I look back at it and hearing stories from John Thomas, from Pedro Vega, from um Taylor Mobley I was that recruit that was never a, I was that that teammate that was never around I was so involved at AM. when I yeah. transferred in I I pretty much redid my freshman year as a junior and so because I was at AM another four years and when I came in I joined the wrestling team look everything that could go wrong went wrong that first year at AM. and I'm saying like I never failed a class I finally I got overwhelmed with school. I was, I got overwhelmed with school. I joined way too many groups. I was trying to make friends because I had no friends. I, I came to AM. and I was like, yeah, man, man. I don't know anyone here and yeah. I'm 21. So this is weird. I'm like, I'm <laughs> the old guy, but I'm not the old guy. And so I'm old in college years. And so I never showed up to any event, anything else that Southwestern had. And I had no car. Uh, I had nothing going into the summer. So Taylor Molly, the joke was, you have this ghost recruit. You have this ghost teammate that may not even come out. And Taylor's over here hyping me up. He's like, yeah, but no, he's an athlete. He's a good wrestler. And yeah. you know, he's, he's, really, he's really involved. He's going to do great. 
and everyone's like, all right, whatever, Taylor. And then <laughs> summer comes around. I show up and Taylor was singing. I was going to have a car. I didn't even have a car. So I went out. My car broke down literally right before the summer started. I didn't, I didn't have any money. And so I just, I, I didn't know that, you know, you probably need some money to start a business. I was thinking, no, we'll figure it out. And went out in that summer with like zilch. And that was a massive learning lesson that the whole term, it takes money to make money was, I didn't learn that until probably after the summer. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> but financially, I'm going to at least come out with at least a grand. Right. So I at least have some money for food, for gas, uh, all those For a things. real buying atmosphere. So you're not just like, Mrs. Jones, if you don't buy this, I will not eat tonight, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, the, I literally, there are days, uh, that first summer was, um, I, what really stood out to me was when Dan Moore, it's, it's a phrase I still say to myself when things feel dark or if I'm in a dark place or in my mind, I'm in a dark place that it's, you know, Dan Moore said my first summer that you may have heard it when in yours, because I think he said it every sales school was, you know, if you're at that point where you feel like you just can't go forward, but you don't want to go back, that's where your character's built. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me where I was like, man, I feel like I can't move forward. I don't have any more energy. I don't have any more spiritual energy. I don't have any more mental, physical, but I ain't going home. I don't want to go home. I'm not a quitter. I've never quit anything before. This is not a good habit to build up. And so I was like, man, we're going to figure this out. So it was that first year was very defining for, for A&M for really the rest of my life. It set a pace of like, when things get tough, the tough get going Mm. and the mindset of, you know, things could really hit rock bottom, but in reality, is it really rock bottom? Do you still have family in your life? Do you still have your health? Like what are some positive things that you can find that when you have no money, are you going to, you're going to find a way to make money? Are you, when you feel like the bills are high, are you going to find a way to cut out all the unnecessary to get into the right path and, and get focused and get clear and, um, I think having friends of, you know, when you, you really develop some really good friendships with people, when you start going through some tough stuff that you realize, okay, who's going to stick with you and who's not. And I think it's really important to have that, that like-minded. So that's why I really appreciated about Taylor Mobley was he was, he was my guy. He was the, he was the guy I cried to. He was just like, I remember when I won Sizzler at the end of the summer, like he, like we, I literally it looked like uh, if you've ever seen Scrubs, it looked yes. like JD and Turk. I jumped in his arms. <laughs> he spun me around. And, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was, it was tough, man. And especially oh, man, walking, yeah. walking in Kentucky. And in Kentucky, okay. It was very hot, and I learned that humidity is different in Texas, because some areas of Texas have it, and some don't. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. So were you like around Louisville or something like that? Yeah, I was. I lived in Louisville. I lived in Louisville and I worked in Trimble County. And um, maybe that county still remembers me. Maybe they don't. But um, yeah, that was that was a very I got a car midway through the summer. Hmm. And I'll never forget that summer because Mark Rowell never let me forget it. And he used my my what's the stat sheet? Your, your, your progress tracker and he would show it every summer afterwards to every every border war i was in every like 
Yeah. Every border war, I came up and I was always so embarrassed because I always felt like he shared half the story. And, and, he, and it was a story of hope that you can, you know, be with nothing and then you can finish strong. Cause I think I had maybe week six or seven, maybe like eight, 600, 800 units. It was, mm. it was rough. Mm. And then in the summer was a little bit over, I think it was either night, it was either 19 or 21. I don't know. There you go. And so, but I just remember there was a lot, we had log on units yeah. too. So yeah, I think yeah. that's what pushed it up to 2100. And so um that summer really but mark Rao kind of shared the half story and so that that was something i wanted to get a chance to share on here because i'm Go for I, it. I don't know if he still shows that at border wars that it's possible <laughs> but you know the big thing that really helped in the summer was i always had this enact ability to build relationships with people uh because i genuinely i just had a heart for god that i wanted to love on people and I wanted people to feel God's love through my love and just totally be that vessel in a way that was used to just spread love. And so I know that may sound hippie, but in a way, uh, during the summertime, that was really my, my summer story. And so mm. I'll, I'll save the ponytail because there's one, there's a few, but that first summer was, it really impacted me that made me want to come back and, uh, and because Taylor, how many years he put in it really, that was a cementing factor that I was like, maybe I need to put more years into this because there's a lot that I can learn. There's a lot that I gained uh, after doing that one summer that really changed relationships with my parents, friends, um, impacted school afterwards. And so we were able to do a lot of success at AM and the wrestling program because of Southwestern. There so you go. I'll save the ponytail, but the, sure. yeah, the, the, the concept of that first summer was I really did well at building relationships with people and genuinely finding out, Hey, is this something you're going to be serious mm. about? Instead of like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me take your order. Oh yeah. 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 You can put two quarters down. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you just pay for shipping. We'll figure it out later. No, no, no. Like it was like, I genuinely built a relationship with that person and just strict, like it was very real. It's like, Hey, are you really going to use this? I don't want you to get it. If you're not right. going to use it, I'm not, I don't want to push something on you. I want you to, I want you to win at life. And if you want your kids to do well, I want this to be that resource. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to show them how to use it. This is going to be great. You're going to see me one last time before I run off to college. And, and I'm going to get them super hyped up for school. And I'm going to show them what they're, how they're going to use it for their different classes, especially for the years to come. And so when they saw that, it was that's what helped me finish the summer strong. Yeah. There was a lot of weak business. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was a lot that came through at the end, which is really fun. There you go. Yeah. So Mark being Mark, I'm sure he was just like, yeah, he just worked really hard. But you were like, yeah, but I was like a human to these people and yeah. everyone should be too. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, He's, man. Mark was, I know everyone has different experiences than him. I had a, I had a really good one and yeah. I really appreciate him in a way that um, I like tough coaches uh, some of the best coaches I've had in my life are the ones that are very real and they're willing to slap me around and tell me, Hey, look, you want to be great. This is what it takes to be great. Um, kind of like the, I love the quote with, uh, Ronaldo. Uh, he talks, he talks to his son and he's like, Hey, if you want to be great, like me, you're going to have to do this. And so his son tells him he wants to be a soccer player or football player. And he goes, okay, you can do that, but you can't drink that Coke. And right. that's not what the grades do. And he was like, right. and, you want to be great. Okay. When you're done with dinner, let's go run seven miles. And so it's just one of those, that philosophy of, Hey, like, this is the reality of what it means to be great. You have to separate yourself from, from the pack. 
and it's a lonely road it's tough and so mm-hmm. that's that was my biggest my my salt my grain of salt that I took uh that I try to take from every relationship so yeah and Mark Mark's definitely like the like tough dad figure for everybody especially like because so few dads are like that these days I suppose <laughs> you know they're always like yeah we'll do whatever to make you happy kid Mark's just like no like do the work man like if you don't you're you're a dumbass like come on you know kind of like red foreman from that 70s show right <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah man it's it's funny where the what really impacted because it changed the trajectory that first summer that when i came back there was a purpose at AM. my purpose was all right we're gonna build a team yeah. we're gonna get better i'm gonna build the wrestling program we're gonna win a national title and that thought pattern of this is what it takes to become a champion you're going to set yourself apart. And there was, there, you know, I look back at my college experience. I was like, man, there are some things I would do different in a, in a better way. Maybe I would have invested, meaning I would have sacrificed a little bit more. And um, I, I've kind of changed my philosophy on what sacrifice looks like. I just call it an investment because when you sacrifice something, you're, you're giving it up. But I look at when you're investing, you're putting something in because you want to ROI, you want to return on it. And so that was that thought pattern coming into the second summer, coming into the third summer. And, and, you know, cool to say, I, there wouldn't have been a wrestling program. There wouldn't be an a and wrestling program if it wasn't for certain leaders pouring into me at hmm. Southwestern because of choosing a life of excellence. It just, it, it bled in other areas. So. I, okay. You keep talking about how there would be no wrestling program. You literally built that thing from scratch. What the heck? It, tell, tell me about that. So it's, it wasn't just me. It was, it was around before me, but okay. uh, there was a guy, his name was Jim Junta. He started a NCWA and Jim Junta. He's he, funny enough. He's really close friends with my dad. He gave me my first pair of wrestling shoes. He mm-hmm. went to A&M and he brought te- wrestling to Texas. And so because of that, this is funny how it all ties together where uh, my dad, you know, he owns a brokerage in Primerica and he's been cool. working in Primerica for 24 years. He's going on his 25th year. And, and now I'm actually in business with him. And so, but because of that, Jim Junta is also in Primerica. And so, and then the guy that actually influenced me to go sell books, his name is Mike Tuttle. He is also in Primerica. And so Mike there Tuttle is one of the, he's one of the founding fathers for, you know, all of Texas blowing up. He's a multi-million dollar earner and, multi-millionaire very very wealthy guy but he loves jesus and i say all that because jim you know you have business owners their thought pattern is let's build things because they're builders and so he built the program he brought wrestling to texas from up north he built texas wrestling he built ncwa wrestling in turn he also built wrestling at AM in the 70s and so because ah. of that, i in my mind i was like i'm gonna go to AM. I want to go, I like this guy. This guy's doing well in life. I want to go there. So after going there, you know, he, the program right when I got there fell apart, everyone quit. Um, There was no coach. There was no leaders. There was one dude and he only stuck around to, to pass the ropes off to show me things so that he could officially leave. (laughs) I show up. I'm like, gung-ho it's first yep. day and i'm like where's the wrestling program i walk in the room i'm like this is not a wrestling room what is going on <laughs> and so um and it, and yeah it fell apart that's why that first year i really struggled is 
uh, I learned really quickly what it meant that when people commit to things, you either you either follow it through and, and you find a way to make it work or you just didn't really have a heart for it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people should move on when they don't have hearts for things because that's it's important to do that. But um, that was me. I stuck around. And so the program yeah. fell apart that first year. It went from having all Americans the year prior to no one. And then oh, I come out and I think I'm the man because of ego and pride and end up getting hurt. I end up tearing my knee and I end up going out into that first summer. So that also played into a role of adversity that I carried. But the afterwards that after finishing that summer, I was like, I'm going to take a year off of wrestling and I'm going to focus on being a leader yeah. and that's leading myself and, and, hopefully recruiting people yeah. at the same time building a team. And so, so it always made sense for you to, you know, continue forward with more summers and really build that skill set. Obviously it's yes. like the perfect breeding ground for becoming a leader. I and, wanted to learn how to recruit. I wanted, oh yeah. I knew that some of the best leaders were the ones that could cast a vision somewhere that you could go and follow. And that it, I'm really grateful that God put that in my heart, that there was something more in wrestling um and in turn there were some guys i really got to build a great relationship with and still do and still have and some ended up coming to sell books with me and we ended up having a top team and so that was really cool uh but you know a&m it went from like just something to nothing to then it went to three and then it went to nine and then it went to 27 and so it was cool to see the progression and and as much as i would have loved to have been that first national champion since the 90s um, that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, my purpose. And so, but after me, because of my passion for it and just continuing to pour, I poured a lot of my money from selling books into the wrestling program. Mm. And it was, uh, and so we got, you know, by the grace of God, we were able to get an endowment at a and so We could give out scholarships to kids. Oh. You know, we ended up getting a coach to step back into A&M cool. uh, and he was coaching there. And then right when I got there, like a year or two prior, he just left. And then after I helped uh, put a lot of time and brought in some guys, I started putting in leadership because I knew that I couldn't do everything. I wasn't good enough to do everything. And so I found some guys that were really good administratively, operationally. And so they started helping me build that. Um, And, and, and then afterwards, like when he came, like there was, there was a national champion like a year or two after I left. Dude, no way. I didn't even get to, I haven't even met the guy, my dad did, and, you know, but I've heard really good things about him. He's a really sharp dude at A&M, but he ended up being a two-time national champion. That's awesome. Holy cow. Yeah, and it it ended up going, we ended up having several All-Americans. Dude, you got to reach out to this guy. Like, I I, I want to find him for you now. I've him on Facebook, but he lives down in Houston, and so it's, I'm I'm hoping one day I can be able to, you know, get some coffee with him and just talk about it, but it's yeah, so the, the program really turned into something. And I just I just believe when it comes to sports, um, everyone should have something they do that challenges their body mm. to just be better. So that was that was a it was it was a beautiful ride at AM. It was when I was done, I was like, oh that was enough. Now let's go find something else. So yeah, okay. So you were uh, I mean to, to talk still about that AM thing, first of all, dude, that's that's impressive. That's awesome that you're able to rebuild a wrestling program like that with like some amazing results after you left. Like the one of the best signs of like complete leadership 
or however you want to phrase this is like after you're gone success and good things still happen um so that's that's really cool man and i i I respect the hell out of you for putting in that work and sharing that same vision and igniting something that's that's really cool i do have to give a lot of credit to pedro vega i was about to bring him up actually yeah really good at casting vision and that's why i bled into certain areas of my life was uh pedro uh he ended up talking about legacy and that's really become my mantra in my life now where you know you know when what's the story that comes after you and you know because all one day we're all going to pass away well one day we're all not going to be here one day the history books are going to forget us and your name's going to be forgotten the only way you're going to have you're going to live on is either a you have kids or b what you did in someone's life changed them to want to go change someone else's life and so when he said that to me i was like oh my gosh you're right and and so it really impacted me to be like let's you know, let's, let's make something that's bigger than you. And A&M's wrestling program is not about you, Austin. And it's about, you know, some of these guys that want to continue wrestling that didn't get accepted to a Penn State, an OSU, or an OU, some of these established programs. And, um, and so that was, yeah, that was that case where he really helped me cast a vision for the guys. Um, even though I never had a team as big as Pedro's, but it was one of those thoughts that kind of like uh, in the Bible where it's like, you know, you can do a lot with little. And that thought pattern of how do I be a steward to, to grow something that can, to make a bigger impact. So mm. that was, uh, yeah, it's, I, I love wrestling. It's very passionate for me. I, I tie yeah. a lot of it together for everything that I do in life and especially telling stories with people. So, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's clear that it's as important as your time in Southwestern, since you have been kind of talking yeah. about how all these direct, you know, explicit skills that you learned, of recruiting and leading a team and having a vision like tell me about how you did that within southwestern working with someone like pedro because like him sean briefo like all these you know plenty of names jordan chapel um you know some top recruiters you know jessica his wife being a top salesperson type of thing like there was a really good culture there and what was like your role what was like your experience throughout your your time at AM on the book side yeah, my third summer, I actually got to sell with Pedro, and that really changed me spiritually, physically, emotionally. Like he was your roommate? Uh, no, that was my second year at AM. So I inadvertently lived with Pedro. I lived with like all the top recruiters okay. my second year at AM. I knew no one. And yeah. so I, John Thomas had a house available. John Thomas had like all these homes. And I'm like, what do you how are you doing these things like you are really a businessman like you're thinking financially differently than everyone else uh but he had a home and i moved into it he goes i got a room available if you want to move in it's this much i'm like that sounds awesome i can be with you and like i cried after my first summer i was a mess and (laughs) i was like man i'd really be appreciative if i can come back and little did i know that you know they all want you to come back so i I want you always to always come back forever (laughs) and ever (laughs) i was thinking i wasn't gonna get invited i didn't think i did that good right um i'm really grateful i ended up squeezing in that that top 150 to be a top first year but that second uh, going into the second year of a&m i ended up moving in with john thomas um uh and then uh taylor mobley lived there like there were guys that lived in and out and then uh and then pedro lived there jeremy cliber lived there and so uh and then a few other people that were there and um it was just it felt like a southwestern uh 
like out of school like frat house yeah and there you so go <laughs> it's, it, but it was very like healthy there wasn't we weren't yeah. partying every night i remember there were days that you know we just cut back and i would play zombies with john thomas and that's something that's we cool. still joke about and uh call of duty but that's yeah pedro vega i've I'm, built that relationship with him and what really started that relationship was he came back from when johnny football beat alabama in alabama yes he, he drove through the night back home and he I don't know if the door is unlocked or halfway unlocked, but I thought he kicked it open and he just starts yelling and like going off like crazy. And, and I'm like, Oh my God, you, I go, what, what, where have you been? What are you going? And he's like, Oh man, I was just at the football game. I was like, you were at the, the UA. And I was, I was going crazy. Cause I that's watched incredible. And he drove home. And so that's our friendship really started at that moment. And that third summer, uh, going into my third summer, so fast forward, we, um, he invited me to be a student manager. And I didn't recruit anyone that summer. I was really focused on being the best athlete, best student I could yeah. be, and pouring into my, my, my team that actually all decided to come back for my second right. summer. So they all came back and we all hit growth and explosion. And that third summer cool. into it, that was actually the year I, I all American at AM. And that's when AM's program took off. Like they, Dang, they see this guy. We have no coach. Um, there's maybe three or four other team members that year. Um, or I think there was maybe six or nine that year. And then I was the guy that all American. And I just remember um, going into that summer that it was, it was the continued momentum and the power of momentum. And so uh, and hearing Pedro talk about legacy, legacy. And so mm -hmm. from, from the second summer, because we had the Olympics in 20, uh, what was it? 2012 was it? Yeah. 12 and then 16, 12 and 16 and then 2020. And so that 2012, you know, they Southwestern, they ended up, I didn't realize this. They lied to me. I thought Michael Phelps came on and spoke to our group and I went ham and so <laughs> he did really well. I ended up hitting growth that week. And so <laughs> uh, it was a lie that I realized there's some there's some lies that are actually good the self-truths that we sure. tell ourselves that can breathe life and so that after that I just told myself every summer like this is your Olympics and this is your Olympics yeah so, um going into every summer just started building momentum and that that seed of hearing Michael Phelps made me realize man I want to go out for the Olympics and mm -hmm. um I wasn't that kid that grew up saying I was going to be an Olympian I wasn't that kid that really knew what I wanted from life Southwestern and wrestling at AM helped me figure out what I really wanted from life yeah. and so going in that third summer when we hit explosion growth and being an all-american I realized man like I want to go out for the Olympics I want to do something great I want to do something different I don't want to do it for me I want to be able to glorify God in the process and be able to talk from that podium and and so that that really progressed and it was all because of the legacy what pedro talked about building yeah. a legacy what's going to last after you're gone and so um and that was also kind of the reason why after you know my fourth summer i ended up learning a lot that um that was actually the my worst summer i owed the company money and that was a life did you just say your fourth summer my fourth summer i oh. owed the company money it was so embarrassing I oh. one and i carried that with shame for so long that I had to let it go um, years ago. And it was one of those things that was like, hey, that's business. 
yeah. business doesn't mean you're always going to win. You have to decide and then you have to go act. And that summer when I, luckily I recruited a top team. And so they, they helped me. I ended up making money <laughs> later. Um, but it was like, it felt like I cheated because I was like, man, I personally didn't succeed when mm. my team did. And so there was something that was right, but it was one of those things that financially, I, I didn't know that, you know, what it really meant to keep expenses low. I thought I was, but it's really important to learn how to have a good accounting system and how to, how do you budget everything? And so oh, yeah. that summer taught me how to budget so that my fifth summer I could end. And I, and I did really, that was my best summer, my fifth summer. Good. And so that was when I realized, okay. And it was getting close to going for the Olympics. And I realized, man, if you're going to do this, you got to go do it. And there were really three people in my life that made, helped me really come to that decision to leave Southwestern because it was so hard to mm. leave. And, you know, always the culture, is. The culture is like, it's so inviting. You don't want to leave. You feel like you right. might lose some friends. Uh, but at the same time, it goes back to that story. If you want to be great, you really have to set yourself aside. You have to go on some lonely roads. And, and that, was, that was really tough. Ryan Davis really helped me uh, make a decision. He didn't point me in any direction. He was just asking good questions, like, like good friends and good leaders do. Hmm. They ask you questions to help you come to the answer. Um, and I remember, you know, uh, Tim, Tim Palmette, like, uh, I was just, I cried on the phone, uh, going with him to, I was driving to a, a university to go train, um, in between trying to decide if I was going to recruit, kind of recruiting, not recruiting, selling books, but not selling books and training, but not training. And then, you know, talking to him, talk to Ryan Davis and realize, wow, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I don't have all the money in the world. I don't have any sponsors. I don't have any coach. I don't really know what I'm going to do, but if there's one thing that Southwestern taught me is that, you know, go figure it out. You can mm -hmm. figure it out and you might fail, but you at least took a step, you tried and you move forward. And so that was that, that my Olympic, my vision quest, if you call it that was, that was a lot of that. And I learned really quickly as you get up into, once you get around the greats, you realize that one, you're, you're never as good as you think you are. Uh, but more importantly, that you realize, man, I don't know anything. Uh, the more I travel, the more I see, the more I know, I don't know. And so that was, <laughs> that was kind of, you know, kind of the journey where it was like, man, um, you know, what, what did Southwestern even teach me, you know, when, mm. and it, that whole quest of, but it all fell back to what, you know, Dan Moore really kind of breathed life into. And that's like, Hey, if you're in a, between a rock and a hard place, you can't go forward, but you don't want to go back. That's when your character is built. And mm -hmm. I realized, man, I'd, I'd rather be a man of character than a man of circumstance. And so mm -hmm. it was just that leaving was a big quest. So I know it gets really, you know, hopefully I answer your question, but you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot into that. My, my five years with Southwest, and there was a lot of life epiphanies that went oh, yeah. on trying to figure out what, who am I? Where am I going? What do I want? And this is what I, I really love um, whenever I spend time with you, Austin. It's never like surface level combos. It's always like, let, let's get a little bit deep here. Let's talk about meaning and purpose and those types of things. So that's, that's really cool. And um, Southwestern is like a hotbed for just like all these different life lessons that you can learn 
along the way from the act of knocking on doors, talking to parents about their kids and their education from the act of living with someone like John Thomas or Pedro Vega um, and just kind of seeing what life is like um, for those that do choose excellent uh, excellence. Right. Um, And so that's, that's really cool that um, you're, you're able to impart that as your legacy. Um, And you, you, you said a couple things that made me think of a funny story that I want to share real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Is that GRS, um, you know, you know, they're hyping up recruiting, you know, let's build top teams, all that good stuff. Share your vision. Reed Joseph gets on stage, right. He's going in his like (laughs) third or fourth summer or something like that. And uh, he's like, all right, guys, I I got like the world's greatest recruit. He's going to be better than any book man in the history of forever. I'm like, no shit. Okay. Well, you know, I believe this guy, he's a top seller, top recruiter. And he's just like, all right. So I got him. I got Johnny football, Johnny Manziel to sign up to sell books. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, on the edge of my seat, like this guy is telling, you know, a really fascinating story about what he's doing. And then I like get up and start cheering like, yeah, let's go. Johnny football sells books. Nope. He got me. It was a joke. Right. Just like he got, you know, got it with Michael Phelps. Yeah. That's uh, John Thomas did a really, I don't know who spoke that over the phone, but John Thomas was like, all right, guys, like, I I just want to let you guys know next week we're gonna have a phone call we're gonna have a phone blitz before we start and i i got we got a special guest get excited we got a special guest getting on and you wouldn't believe it we had to and he hyped it up so well and when i heard the voice i legitimately thought it was michael phelps and i was like (laughs) oh my gosh they got michael phelps on the phone that's so funny talk to us i'm like this is the greatest company i've ever seen and so right uh, yeah that was i was like man this is so good so um belief it's funny you put some belief in the people you can you can move mountains just by putting the right words and breathing the right life into someone so that's that's you know what southwestern does so excellently you look at like dustin hillis how he's like we're going to be the largest privately held company in existence right and there's all these super huge ambitious goals that are just like inherently built into this little success club that we all were a part of it's just part of that culture thinking big you know going for more and um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you highlight those two, like Johnny Manziel and, um, Michael Phelps outright lies, right? If you want, if you want to talk about the, you know, somewhat negative yeah. side of this whole yeah, vision yeah. painting thing is like, there's, there's a lot of BS that gets fed into people yeah. and for better and for worse. Right. Yeah. But what you kind of highlighted as well is like, Hey, I mean, if you're going to believe something, right. And if you believe, you know, throw your faith into something bigger and, and better and, you know, a life that's more full, um, you know, there's, there's more good to be had, you know, I suppose with a, a good lie, as you put it yeah. earlier, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a thin line, right? Because integrity is important. Where, you know, over the past, you know, I guess, uh, since it's been with COVID, it's probably been about, was two years, it's been two years now. So with COVID, uh, about two years ago, I heard this, uh, this thought pattern, this philosophy from, a guy named Ian Pruckner, he's really, really good, doing very, very successful. And he shared this concept called T-Bar. And T-Bar, which stood for T, stands for thoughts. B stands for beliefs. A stands for actions. And R for results. Mm-hmm. And so if you want results, R, you, it all starts and stems back to your thoughts. And so what are your thoughts that become your beliefs, that your beliefs turn into the actions you're doing, and then our, your results just happen. And so 
that I didn't really have a word for it or an acronym for it back then. But, you know, I, I it's as of late, so it's really impacted my life was just the thought of like, where do you feel, where do people feel like they're called? And, and, you know, that was something I'm sure you heard it when you were recruiting, you know, you have people, especially if you're a believer, you have people that say, you know, they're like, man, I feel like I really was just led here. Like, I just, I'm led here. I'm supposed to do this next week. You follow up with them and they're like, man, I just feel like I'm led that I'm not supposed to do this. And so I always, <laughs> always laugh and, I, and they're like, man, I just really need to pray about it. And what it, even now, even with what I'm doing now, I, I hear the same thing. And, and I always talk to people, I go, oh, you need to pray about it. Let's pray together. I go, right. it says in his word, when two or more gathered in his name, he is there. Let's do yes. it. Let's go brother. And, and so I'm learning really quickly that it's like, there's, there's certain thoughts that we kind of feed ourselves that really, we don't know why we get the results we have because we don't know the thoughts that we're, we're thinking about. And just so, ruled by this weird, you know, amorphous this, blob of, you know, some call it saying, Mr. Mediocrity, right? That's yeah, one, one I, hate, I hate saying that it's like, it's a rule of life, but I really believe that T-bar should be taught in school where it's like, wow, there's a lot of power in this where, where's your thoughts? Kind of like uh, Chad Hemslinger in his book, what do you say to yourself when you talk to yourself? You know, what, how powerful it is to really what you're thinking about. And I, you know, more than ever, now than ever, especially in the society we're in, what, what we're thinking about really sticks. Uh, we got the metaverse coming out. We got Instagram. <laughs> Everything is, everything's getting really crazy, really digitally really quickly and i realized even you can, we can even talk about ai man it's like there's there's things that are happening so quickly that we don't really realize where our thoughts or what programming is coming in to affect our thoughts that then turns into wow this is the new truth that i believe and because this is the new truth i'm going to start acting this way and then wait a second why do i have this kind of life because i've mm. oh wait it's all built from my I'm getting these, this kind of life because I've thought this kind of way. That's so, why you got to take care of that environment. Man, that's, that's such a, you know, I think about this every so often, especially yeah. because like I've had my yo-yos in my own faith walks, right? Where like I've, I've had prolonged periods of time where I'm just like, why did I have such a huge level of devotion? And like all of a sudden now it's not there anymore, yeah. right? And then I start to think, there's just like all these little thoughts, you know, little neuro-linguistic programming from my culture and my environment tell me, no, it's, it's, you're oppressive if you, you know, believe in a kind, loving, um, omnipotent God, right? There's, there's yeah. all these different ways that, um, you know, it's just not just with faith, it's with everything. It's it, like, there's awesome. all these little triggers that yeah, you just think certain ways about certain things. I, I, you know, I know me and you talked about this offline, but, you know, I think it's really great to think about boxes, how easy it is to put things in boxes. I, I've gotten really good at compartmentalizing. I'm a dad now. I'm married. <laughs> uh, Gotta be. Yeah. We're, we're going on, this is going to be year four. And so Gosh. that thought, yeah, time flies by. And so it's like, it went from chasing an Olympic dream, failing miserably. If you look at it from USA wrestling standards, and, and from like my whole wrestling community standards, it's failing miserably and thinking about, wow, how depressed you can get when you let society determine your worth. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into like, wow, I can't succeed at life because I failed here. I failed here. That means I'm going to fail everywhere else. Right. And so there's that box. It starts in that box. And I think yeah. we do that with Southwestern where, oh man, I wasn't, 
I didn't sell 10,000 units like the Europeans and, or I didn't build a huge massive team like uh, the Mexican army. And right. so you, we look at this, this box where in reality, it's these little wins that help us go over time that I, I'm, I'm learning more than ever where it's like, it's okay to put things in certain boxes, but it's understanding that that box is an open box and knowing that I can't keep things in the box. Exactly. Boxes, squares. And so <laughs> it's especially now more than ever, we, you know, there's people, I mean, shoot this podcast. There's people that are making money online digitally that it's just, it's, we live in a different time that it's really important now to not look at life as a box look at, I need, if I succeed here, I'm going to succeed everywhere. It still requires hard work. It still requires to be a student. It still requires to find a mentor, mm -hmm. uh, all those areas where have a good schedule. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. Have a great man. You talking, I wish I could turn this camera around and show you my, my family calendar on the wall. Oh yeah. Uh, we, Erica and I, uh, my wife and I, we ended up getting a family calendar because great you realize, like you said, schedule is important. And crucial. that's really hard when you get married to figure out how, how do I do life with another person while also creating life at the same time of doing life with other people, yeah. like people I want to be friends with or building other relationships. And, and it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. Life's so hard. And to be able to just simplify it by those things, like having a good schedule, having mm -hmm. a good attitude and just focusing on what am I doing, my activity, and um, and also coming back to my thoughts. Where are my thoughts? So, T bar, thoughts T -bar. and it's beliefs, actions, results. Remember it. Do it. Believe it. Map it out. Right. That's uh, that's what I love a lot about my time in Southwestern. I, I all the time I'm I'm like shuffling through old papers from stuff in college and you know, elsewhere in my life. And I, I still have like this gigantic stack of uh, worksheets um, from a little event that I put on with Lee McCroskey on my campus uh, called really? the on purpose person. Right. So like, it's just like, okay, let's, let's take a huge list of values. Uh, first, let's look at actions. Like what are the actions that you like to do? Um, help people, you know, laugh, have fun, you know, or like, um, challenge, open, you know, there's like all these different verbs. And then the, the goal is to pick like five and then move them over to the next page and turn them in from actions into values. Um, and then like, I think actually what it really was is you're supposed to pick like 16 total values and then put them up against each other in a little bracket, like a 16 seed bracket. And then you just like choose between all of these values, like which ones make the final cut. And you've got, you know, your two top values, three or, or so. Um, and that's just like something that you don't really do in any other corner of life. I mean, sometimes you do something like that, like in your, um, there were some college courses that were more about life and life prep, um, but it never really got that deep, like what Southwestern often does and just getting people to stop living life um, by default, but rather by design, right? Yeah. It reminds me of the, the phrase where it's like a lot of people live life that life happens to them mm -hmm. instead of having life happen for them. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something me and my dad talk about now where it's like, am I living a life that, you know, it's just happening to me. I, I take things as they come and I try to make a schedule, but I don't live by the schedule. And so when things come up, I just kind of rearrange everything to make it work. And, 
And that's a lot of life happening to you instead of like, all right, no, I can't do that. That's not yep. on my schedule. And, and yep. so yep. kind of living that, all right, I'm going to have life happen for me. Uh, and so, man, that's, that's a really good point. I like that. I've never really thought about Lee McCroskey, man. I just, I want to go back to Lee. That's, he, he really helped connect. I didn't really realize it that I forgot completely about it, but he, he helped me connect from making wrestling, doing well in wrestling to make me do well in some books. Mm. And reading the book Mind Gym, where it was about mind, you know, spelt by mind, and then gym as in like the workout gym. And that book really changed it where the thought was, you know, what I'm doing in one area can translate to the next area, but what are the action items? Obviously, I can't, you know, wrestle eight hours a day and do this, but it's okay. What are the action items that I'm doing that I can translate? So, man, Lee was so, it's, I'm so glad he was, he, man, he was so impactful for so many people. Oh, yeah. I didn't even, you know, I wasn't in the same area as him. I just, I was blessed. He came to our GRS down here. Yeah, man. Check out his, uh, his episode this upcoming January. I forget what date exactly, but it'll be a, like a Tuesday or Thursday episode. It'll be, it'll be a real good one. I'm excited. It's <laughs> awesome. I'm writing that down. That's, uh, that's funny. That's yeah, cool. man. Well, uh, yeah. So we, we've talked a bit about like, you know, this whole idea of living a legacy, um, you know, with wrestling and, you know, selling books and everything. What was your departure like? Um, Cause you, you were a transfer student. I imagine you graduated and then sold another summer or um, like, okay. One more summer. Um, okay. I lived on right outside of campus with Drew Williams and nice. one of my other guys. I ended up uh, not coming back that last summer, but the, um, yeah, so I had one more summer. Me and Drew were org leaders together. Cool. Uh, Drew Williams. And then yeah. uh, that last summer made me realize, like, it. I just, it was, it was the feeling that I didn't feel called anymore. Mm. And it was that, like, I was still passionate about it, but I felt like things were being forced, meaning I was forcing myself to go. I was forcing myself to, to show up, forcing myself to try to recruit. I didn't feel excited about it and i know i know feelings are fleeting but commitment is final um i i started i had other commitments where my thought was hey i'm gonna make this olympic team i and thoughts my beliefs and so i was like wait a second my actions aren't in alignment to create that result and when i started getting around guys that were really also training to make that team they just made it very evident i flew over here to florida for spring break uh, to come visit gyms to go work out and the guys I was training against they were training like eight nine hours a day and I was only training Damn. three and so in my mind I was like they're gonna whoop you strictly because yeah. they're outworking you now and so it was that thought of like okay intimidating and that yeah it was super intimidating and so I when you get into a room of guys that are training to make an Olympic team there's just a different level of like, I remember one day in practice, I, I broke my nose and it's blood everywhere. And then coach just re, re-broke it. And then we went back to practice and it was like, okay, this, it, he put some stuff in my nose to solder up. So I wouldn't yeah. bleed anymore. To solder and, up. Yep. Yeah. You were steam coming out of my nose, like literally smoke coming out of my nose and <sighs> the blood stopped. And then everyone looking at me and I'm like, all right, guess we're going back in this. And so I just drank some water. We go back to practice and the next day it was very, but my departure was that thought pattern of 
okay, like my actions need to be in alignment with what I want as a result. And so then I left and it, it was a little tough because, you know, there was a lot of friendships I had, but Tim Palmette was really huge in my life at that moment where he had a conversation. It was just like, I realized really quickly that the right friends are going to be the ones that support your, your goals and dreams, mm-hmm. even if they aren't a part of it. And so that's what really clicked where I realized, okay, the people in my life, I need to not live life where I'm trying to prove people wrong. I need to live life where I'm trying to prove people right. Hmm. And there's people that believe I can do this. Let me go out and do it. And if I fail, uh, the thought, you know, you try to aim for the, the moon, you land among the stars. And that thought was, I didn't really have failure in my mind. It was more of like, we're going to make it. Uh, that whole Southwestern belief, like, ah, no, I'll make it, whatever works. I hadn't been hit with the reality of life yet. And so, you know, that's my departure. It really set up a momentum where I started living out of my car and started traveling to different gyms and different states and just trying to find that team I can train with full time and find that coach that was going to be in my corner. And wow. um, it was a, a, a learning lesson, all like business where, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're doing and then you have to find someone that does. So that's crazy, man. So you, you, you had met Erica before this and then you eventually started dating or how, how did you live out of your car driving yeah. state by state and manage to, you know, have a kid? She didn't know that. So we, I met the funny enough, I, I totally hit her up on Facebook and she was that person. I thought that I thought I went to high school with her. She was, had 175 mutual friends. And so I was like, Oh wow. We and then I find out she just, no, she sold books. And so that's, that's when I realized, okay, there's something different. And then I did some creeping. I, I, I call it creeping. <laughs> Other people call it pre-approach. Uh, but I ended up digging through social, found out, you know, we had similar beliefs, had similar, I thought we had similar core values, ended up learning later on that we did. And so, okay. but there's a lot of assumptions I took from just reading digitally online. Uh, I'm glad I did because it all worked out, but the uh afterwards i just i hit her up she didn't want to talk to me and i was still trying to figure out a lot of life at that moment so i was all over the place and so we just became long distance pen pals and then over time uh i was able to break through that wall and build up a a better friendship and we became long distance and at that point i left i left southwestern so we were talking that last summer and then I started calling her during the summer. You know, when it gets late, you're trying to stay awake. And I'm like, who can I call right now? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, this is the perfect person. Let me, just, let me try to build a relationship. So I started hitting her up, started FaceTiming her. And uh, that's what really built up uh, the relationship. And then I started writing her once a month. I would write her a letter. Man, you're so romantic, dude. I was, <laughs> I was the hopeless romantic. I really wanted to find someone that I could just do life with and, you know, had failed relationships prior and had some, you know, messy stuff. And it just, I I learned really quickly that, you know, what, again, investment, you put something in, you hope to get a return. And that was, I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to have it wholesome. And so that's where it started and time led. And I was chasing a dream and she was trying to become a director of marketing. And so she was chasing her own dream. I didn't even think it would work out. And so God just kind of aligned a lot of stuff to pull us together. And then I got an offer to get sponsored by a team out here in Florida. And so lo and behold, it was in Orlando. She lived in Orlando. It brought me to Orlando. And at that time I, you know, I was sleeping on a coach's floor at a different gym in a different state. And so it was like, 
I was like, okay, well, this sounds better. I can at least live in the house. And, and then, then getting here, I realized, okay, I probably shouldn't live in this house, the house that these guys are living in. This may not be the most wholesome place for me to be. And so from there, Dragon Nessick was a buddy I'd sold books with and he lived here and, you know, I ended up moving in and lived on his couch. I paid to live on his couch. That was tough. Training every day, eight to 10 hours a day. And then I worked my way up to splitting a room with Chris Medeiros. And so I shared a room with Chris. So it felt like military school again. And, and then eventually I worked my way up to having the whole room and so low, slowly but surely was building up and uh and then it, i realized man that and once i got injured I, I it was a really bad injury i ended up dislocating my collarbone tearing of my labrum and tearing my knee that i realized Ooh. okay i have no money i have no insurance i need to get this stuff fixed i can't even afford to get an x-ray right now so let's figure this out and so that was that's when I started working and I took out in jobs and definitely got paid below what I, what I definitely felt that I was worth. Right. But it was one of those moments where I was like, all right, this is not forever. This is just momentarily. Yeah. And it was just, how do you build from this? And there was a lot of depression I had to go through. And it was in that moment of like my darkest, what I felt was the lowest low that sh- seeing her by my side made me realize, okay, if you're going to live a life where you're proving people right, you see someone that's for you. Why would I try to assume there's something better out there for me? Maybe that's a lie I'm trying to tell myself mm. instead of being like, man, what do I have that I'm grateful for? And I realized, man, this girl, same beliefs, same thought pattern. I'm like, let's do life together. And I was a lot like Taylor Mobley, where he told me, you know, I don't need to date someone for five, seven years to realize I want to marry and do the rest of my life with them. And so that's when it clicked and I was like, all right, let's, let's do that. So it ended up working out. And so, you know, three years later we have a kid and he's <laughs> the biggest blessing I've ever, I could ever imagine. And I look at now where I look at life where, you know, God, you know, I hate, I know this is totally non-secular a podcast, but I just, I give so much credit to where God has done a lot of good things in my life where he it's that thought pattern where it's not a set back. It's more of a setup and you got to look at life mm. where if I'm feeling like I'm getting a, a set back and I'm like, man, I'm not as far as my friends or my friends are six figure earners. And I, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not even making 50 grand and that thought pattern of, man, I'm not making a lot of money yet. It's okay. Well, am I developing skills? Am I great? Am I developing a mindset? And am I, really pursuing a, a setup and trying to find a way to set myself up because you could you know you could be from making zero dollars to be making over a hundred in a year you could be making over a million in five years there's guys well you, you we hear about all the success stories in society and there's just that thought pattern of not giving up mm-hmm. that really helps propel you and, and during that time when i lost in wrestling and i realized man how do i get better and I left the wrestling community. I'm still not, I follow it. I watch it, but I'm not coaching. I'm not wrestling. I'm, I just, you know, outside of working out on my own and doing my own little shadow wrestling and have my own wrestling equipment that I, I build strength with. But outside of that, I realized I wanted to take a step back because I want to build a business. I want to be able to build businesses mm-hmm. and I want to be able to be able to bless people and be able to do that. I couldn't do that from having a job. 
and having just a single income. And so that thought pattern of, wow, that mindset was this, this, the setup. But in my mind, I was thinking it was a setback because I didn't have that income. I didn't have a job. And so for over time, and now we're, we're here where we're at, where I feel really blessed. You know, Erica's, Erica's doing exceptionally well in her, in her, in her career. And I've done really well in my career that now we're at a point where we're really working to become business owners. And this past year we, we bought our first business and uh, Erica and I are about to work on buying another business. And there you go. I'm about to, you know, I'm trying to work to get out of my job so I can go full time and work with my dad as my, my main, my main America. Sport. There you um, go. Yeah. And so now I want to be able to, you know, just work on building cash flows and building income streams because I want to be there for my kid. I want to be that coach who's breathing life into my kid and showing him how to do things and then introducing him and teaching him how to introduce himself to people that are great and that are better and getting in the rooms that maybe we weren't born into that high class society to step into. But um, I think Brad Lay yeah, he, he's on social, you can follow him, but he's really good at bringing that up where it's like, what's well, the difference between a millionaire and a non-millionaire? Really, it's the mindset. And when you walk into that room, do you feel like you belong or you don't? Mm-hmm. And realizing it's the same thing in athletics. You know, when I went into a room at USA Wrestling at the Olympic Training Center, you have guys that have been wrestling since they were five years old. Their parents are wealthy. They paid for them to travel the world. I met a kid who was four years younger than me that was living in Croatia because his, he, he wanted to train there. And my coach, he wanted, he, he grew up in Japan learning how to wrestle. And for a year, he wasn't even allowed to even throw anyone. He wasn't allowed to do a move for a year. So they just threw him around for a year. And so you hear these stories of like, wow, like these are the greats that are going through stuff that you realize, man, they everyone has to put in a prize to get somewhere. And knowing, okay, how do you get into the room? And it was because of that Southwestern, that thought pattern of, let me just be humble and introduce myself. Some people aren't going to like you because they don't like your face. And then there's people that are going to like you because they realize, man, this guy's just humble. He just wants to learn. And so that was the thought pattern where now it's like, okay, how do I, I want to be able to build businesses, teach teach that same concept to people where it's like, you may not belong in a room, but that's because you thought that and mm-hmm. the thought pattern is, is how do I walk in and feel like I belong so that I can learn because you won't ever learn from people unless you feel like you belong in the same area or the arena with them. That's really interesting because that makes me think of um, something that I think Marcel Mayer talked about at a GRS two back in New Orleans some years ago. Um, talks about like he could go into any room in America and be in his in his words the most confident person in that room and it's because you go through this arduous process of knocking on three thousand families doors during the summertime just to try and sell them something and you know you you don't take yourself seriously you take what you do seriously and you can kind of you know of course learn the deep psychology of like a sales situation of like how do people act how do they communicate are they lying right are they with me, how do I get people to communicate with greater deals of clarity and in in a sense like integrity? If you're a really good salesperson and you like lay the deal out there and you're like, hey, if this is great, go ahead and get it. If not, no big deal. And you, you know, trial close along the way, like you really learn how to have a proper 
communication relationship, relationship communication with those that you spend time with, because you're always checking in. You're always like, yeah. who is this person? Right. And when you do that on a regular basis, you're just like, I belong with people. Right. As you were just talking about, it's like nobody's truly different from you in such a separation way that it's like, you know, if you want to get religious with it, it's like we're all loved the same way. Right. By God, you know, yeah. and you know, there's so, so many layers to, to how we all bleed the same right? color. We may not look the same on the outside, but we're all bleeding the same on the Amen. inside. Yeah. And we all have similar organs, if not majority of them. <laughs> yeah. so it's that, that thought pattern where it's like, at the end of the day, I'm not really that different from this person. I guess what makes me different is my work ethic and my character. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's that thought pattern of even, even now, like there's moments where I feel like I don't belong in Florida because I'm not, I'm not Latin enough or I don't speak Spanish well. And so, but it's funny where even still, there's people that live here in Florida that don't even feel like they belong here in Florida and they're from here. And so I'm learning really quickly that it's just like, we all, we all think the same. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued and respected, um, especially in a society now where it's all about division. It's all about disrespect. It's all about, you know, what's mine is mine and I'm self-made and I truly believe none of us are self-made. I believe there's always someone that poured into someone to, to believe in them. And so that's, yeah, it's, 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 I, I, I'm still learning everything. I'm not even close to perfect. I'm not even, I'm not even at the epitome of what I feel like I, I want to be at, but uh, I realize now more than ever that we're on the right path. It just takes time. And especially yep. when I talk about with my friends, uh, my circle now, that, you know, I just try to breathe life in them. There's so many people that breathe life into my Olympic dream. Even when I had buddies that told me, dude, you're never going to make it. Dude, you, you're not good enough. And it was, it was a lot to get through that I realized, wow, the ones that breathe life into you, you got to breathe it back and you got to keep those people close. And, you know, you find someone that's genuine, you want to hold on to them as hard as you can, because it's, it's a limited resource here in the world to find genuine people they genuinely want you to win as badly as they want to win. Right. So it's, it's, man, it, it, that's probably my, like you said it, I, I feel like we're called to be in community with each other. I feel like we're called to, if we did some more building up, I think there'd be better, you know, everyone would be way more prosperous if we yeah. be able to build each other up instead of like, let me, I, you can still compete and be competitive, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. Breathing life. Yeah, man. Speaking of, uh, wrestling i don't know if you've heard a name maybe once or twice jordan burroughs right yes, out yes. of great state of nebraska he's originally from new jersey but uh yes. i heard about how in high school before he got to nebraska he would compete on the wrestling scene um and he was an ultimate competitor right uh, you know top of his class all the time because he would meet with his opponent before each match and actually showcase hey man i'm gonna do this if you try and encounter with this move i'm gonna hit you with this move and he would literally lay it all out there share all of his secrets right none of this scarcity mindset if i share my secrets i'm gonna lose he just wanted to do that because it forced him to get really freaking good at doing that and so that's like the best example i've ever heard of like competing while still collaborating and you know every single person that he wrestled i guarantee you is way better for having wrestled that mother, <laughs> that dude, yeah, because yeah. He, he, he had that spirit, man. And I love, you know, how it can show up in any given avenue. And, you know, it's cool that we get to talk about it here. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's I'm learning now more of where it's like you create an environment of collective, an environment of um, just breathing life into an environment where you can you might be able to find an answer or a result to something that you thought you could do yourself where it wouldn't have happened. And so especially when it comes to business where now it's like, man, the more if you want to be wealthy, I realize you got to learn really three things. And that's how business works, how money works and how taxes work. And if yeah. you learn those three things, you, you can really set yourself apart and really take care of and you know, going back to legacy. That's how you really build something is you want to set, you know, I know a lot of people want to make a million dollars, but I think deep down, they really want to spend a million dollars. Uh, I know I, I've been guilty of that myself where uh, deep down, you everyone wants a really nice car. Everyone wants to have at least a decent, a good watch they can carry, especially us guys. And, you know, we can get lost in how we want to look superficially, but more importantly, it's like, man, what kind of, I heard really wise, Mike Tuttle, a wise guy tell me that, you know, instead of thinking, well, I don't need all that money. I don't need to be a millionaire. Maybe you're right. You don't, but maybe you only need a hundred thousand. Maybe you only need 300, but what kind of person will you become trying to obtain that million dollars? Well, what kind of leader will you become to try to obtain that million dollars? And so it's mm. the thought pattern of who do I, who am I going to become in the process of doing that? And even though that journey may take a lifetime or it could take a couple of years, it just depends on what you're in and, or industry and how your work ethic and how it grows and how it scales. And so that thought pattern of that, hearing that, that's what really shook the thought as a kid and up to now where it's like, okay, who am I going to become in order to get where I want to go? Even though I don't need that, yeah. I don't need that to be successful in my life. Um, but if I want to do X, Y, Z in my life, I probably do need that so I can be able to pour into those areas for life. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I could go on and on and on and on and on about the yeah. philosophies behind everything that we're talking yeah. about, the real life implications, concrete examples. Yeah. But, uh, I guess we'll just have to, you know, show up on the, the wrestling ring and go at yeah. it. And, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> that's probably the number one thing that makes me laugh now is uh, I, I wish a lot of my wrestling buddies, I don't, I don't see nearly any of them or get a chance to talk to them nearly as much. And um, but more than ever, when I see people like, Oh, you want to wrestle in my mind, the first thought that comes to my mind, I'm like, no, I don't, because it's not in my, you, you're thinking fun. You're thinking play wrestle. No, in you're mind, thinking, I'm thinking yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking, no, you want to wrestle. That means you probably want to rip my face off. Right. And so, and that's, that's what really clicked, uh, going to that next level. If you want to go to the next level, the, in, in wrestling, that Olympic level, people want to rip your face off. Yeah. And there's guys in countries that are fighting for their life to win so that their family can eat. Yeah. And then you have us here in America that are like, man, I just love the sport. And so it's yeah. a different competitive where it's like, I need to win versus man, I really want to win. Right. And so that thought pattern of like, okay. And so it's always real funny when people tell me like, Hey, let's wrestle. And I'm like, no, no, it's not wrestle. Like I'm going to have to become another person. That will and, ruin our relationship and I will hate you, right? You're going down. Like, hey, bro, I'll, you were injured. I'll, I could take I'll you. I love you. Yeah, in my mind, I'm like, I love you. You might hate me. And so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like the, the thought pattern. You got to, uh, you know, <laughs> there's certain wrestlers I meet now that are just real aggressive, real mean, uh, just angry at life. And I realize, man, you got to, 
but you kind of have to become that person in and take away the emotion and become that competitor when whether it's in sport it's in business it's not about your emotion it's about my work ethic and what am i trying to what's the, the main main goal the, the result that i'm aiming for so it's that's funny you say that yeah that, that's something i always think about whenever someone tells me like hey little well, we'll just wrestle. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. So. That's funny. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll hold off on wrestling, yeah, you know, yeah. once, uh, we both heal up from our injuries. Right. You know, uh, anyway, um, I don't, I don't know. How, how's it feeling on time? Uh, is it maybe about time for some of these ponytails, right? These pony stories yeah, that you have. I, was about to say, I, I feel like we've, you know, there's a lot, I feel like me and you could probably talk, uh, it's the same thing I talked about with Andre. So we could probably go deep down with whether it be faith and be, oh, yeah. you know, the way that tech is going nowadays. I love looking, I love studying uh, the market. I love learning mm-hmm. about finances. I love learning about taxes. I love learning about business. We, I mean, we could probably talk about everything forever. But um, as far as time goes, for sure, ponytails would probably be some some positive endings for yeah. for this interaction. So it's uh, <laughs> I just man, I, I try to think about some of the there's the ones that really stuck to me were really the ones uh, probably my first summer just because I knew nothing. Uh, I knew nothing. I just wanted to win. I you know I felt like I was losing all summer, but mm. Uh, I think the the best one was there's so I guess there's really two cool. one from my first summer and then one from my last summer um, which is so the first summer was I remember showing up to a house this house had a giant um, man-made pirate ship in their in their mm. in their backyard and it was a it was a house it wasn't really a house it was because it was country so sure. it was a double wide and so this double wide, this trailer have had a boat that was made for their kid that yeah. was and that was half the size of the trailer. Oh. And so I'm like, what in the world on this little lot of land? And I'm like, what is I'm like, so they have kids. I'm gonna go yeah. knock on the floor. And I sit down with them and phenomenal parents and I don't remember their names. It's I hate it, but they uh I remember what, when after I sold everything, I, I sat down. They bought everything. They bought all the all the advantage books. And I'm like, this is the first time to sell a whole system. So I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh, how do I do this? How do I calculate this? <laughs> I'm like, oh, am I doing this right? Am I doing this? Oh, it's such a classic feeling. We're on paper log. So I'm like, hopefully I'm doing the numbers right. I can't think. I'm so nervous. I'm like, oh God, they're not they're gonna say no when they hear the price. Mm-hmm. And then they say, okay, cool, we'll do it. We'll take it. <laughs> I love that feeling more than anything else. Well, the, the, the funniest part was, and then I get them to sign and we're, we're talking about price breakdowns and they go, okay, well, we have no money. And I go, wait, what? And they go, all I can give you is these two quarters. And I, oh. I get that in mind. I'm like, how, how are we going to get these books? Bro, you <laughs> alluded to this earlier. <laughs> literally, literally these two quarters, I'm like, Okay. Okay. Uh, I, so you sure? Are you sure you want these? Are you? And I look at the kid and I'm like, Are you gonna use these? Like, I hope you're gonna use these, right? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, Okay, like only you, you sure you don't want just a math books, you know, right? You know, no, we want everything. And I'm like, Okay, okay. And so we write it up, and they go, You come back at the end of the summer, we'll have it all for you. And so I, 
you know, I'm, I'm having to, at the end of the summer, you know, the company only sends you so many books based off your business. I'm having to drive all over. I drove up to Ohio to grab books. Mm. I drove over to other states to grab books just so I could finish wow. my deliveries. And I go back to this house and I'm so excited. And I walk in and they had it all for me. They had it all in cash. There you go. And it, and it hit me where it really yeah. opened up my heart where I was like, wow, there are people out here that really care. And if you get down and get real with them and just ask, is this, are you going to, are you, do you need what I provide? Hmm. People are going to let you know. And if you just get a heart to heart and being willing to be vulnerable. And that was me. Like we cried together. I was like, I was a very emotional person. But yeah. Tell, very still are. yeah. Super emotional still. And so but they, they came through and I just, I remember leaving that house, leaving Trimble County, Kentucky, and just thinking in my mind, I'm like, this is the craziest job. Right? I'm like, this, <laughs> I'm like there's nowhere else in America you could go and be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take everything. Here's two quarters. I'll pay later. And so. Like, Were they at least cool states? Was it like the Texas quarter or something like that? Maybe Kentucky? <laughs> I don't remember at that point. It oh, was funny, more man. of the thought of like this 50 cents came yeah. through. That's uh, crazy, man. And, and then, that's, that's really cool. Are you going to tell your other story real quick? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I, I did. I, are you going to finish this first story? I, I had another sponsor to, to plug no, in. No, no, it's, it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So Elevated uh, Fitness um, I meant to throw them at the earlier part of this episode, but uh, we'll throw them in here now. These guys, Seth and Zane, Seth Hood, Zane Gallagher, um, you know, they just finished up the summer this past summer and crushed it. And so they were like, okay, now that we've crushed it in the book business, let's start our own. And so Seth, you know, top, you know, physique performer guy, whatever, you know, whatever those body competitions are called, you know, Zane too. And so what they did is they, they created a whole plan and you know fitness plan for whatever shred you're trying to go for. If you're trying to lean up, bulk up, you know they, they got you on a you know a diet plan and a fitness plan. That uh, <laughs> it's kicking my butt. I'm I'm a little sore, more sore than I usually am, but uh, it's, it's really cool to have someone that you can talk to every week and be like, hey, this is you know what I need to to do to stay with it. This is you know a struggle that I'm having, and actually get coaching through that. So Andres and I are, are doing that together, and it's been. Not my favorite thing, uh, despite your um, very athletic disposition. That is not my own. I am very much um, got to pull some teeth to to go to the gym, but you know I do it when there's other people involved, right? That's awesome. So yeah, shout out Zane, uh, Zane and Seth, our other sponsors to to bring up our Martine and Lucas, Martine Cow, Lucas Biscup have their own little DJ uh, business where they're you know doing weddings, you know whatever event you might have if it's some sort of a, you know, music oriented vibe that you're looking to get for some event, you know, hit these guys up. They uh, are willing to travel. They've got playlists for whatever vibe you're going for. Um, and their whole goal is just to, to really bring, you know, whatever event you got going on to life. Um, they're going to be performing at the Freddy's um, next month as the first DJs at the Freddy's, right? No live band, just some disc jockeys, right? It's going to be crazy. Oh my so yeah, shout out to those, those two. And, uh, you know, some other things are in the work with um, Oscar uh, Koha and Oliver Reynas of the Estonian flavor. They're, they're helping build a website. So we'll, we'll be chatting about uh, promoting their V-Designly business here pretty soon. So some good stuff we got going on. But anyway, 
Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear this this final pony story. Final, the final pony story. Whatever. Your final summer selling books. Where was that, by the way, that fifth summer? It was in between Tennessee and Mississippi. Oh. And so I was mixed um, where I went back and forth because I, I sold in uh, Memphis. And cool. so that Memphis, that little corner on the far uh, east side or west side of yeah. Tennessee, it bordered right there at Mississippi. And so I, I crossed the river and ended up going and working like, I ended up working like six or seven territories that summer. And it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning about the South. And so, uh, but there was this one prison guard I met and he, uh, I can't remember his name either. So I feel sad about the names, but there's so many prison guards just straight up have like some of the craziest stories that you'll ever get from knocking on doors. They're just like, let me tell you about this one prisoner who tried to do this one thing. It's crazy. What you so got? I, I'm thinking, I'm again, another trailer. I'm out in the country and I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'll go knock. It's about to storm. And I see this guy, he's outside. I'm like, all right, perfect. He I thought he was really tall, but it was really far away. And I come running up and he has his shirt off. And he's this like short, stout, like, jacked little prison guard and i see him and i go and talk to him and he just gets real serious real deep in my face like right i'm like all right stand your ground low and slow and i started talking to him and it goes great and and then he goes hey you want to you want to come meet austin i'm like austin and he goes my cow austin and i'm like okay prison guard taking me to his back barn way off the road and i'm like I, this guy's going to kill me. I'm like, but hopefully he'll buy some books. And so he'll feed, I'm he'll feed you to Austin. It'll all, it's like so, the cycle of life right there. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I go in the back. I meet Austin, the other, this other cow, this cow. And so after I meet him and, and he, we build a relationship, we sit down we go talk to his kid. Uh, ended up, he ended up buying all the advantage, ended up buying the, the, um, the, the, the SAT, a- ACT prep, that the new program that we had when it, when it came out, it was yeah. new uh, with Kaplan, uh, or I don't remember who it was, uh, Prince Interview. Yes, and so we ended up, yeah, because and so when, when he bought everything, I was like, holy cow. Uh, and I told him at the end, I was like, wow, I, I'm just really impressed. He was like, what? That I, that you actually, am I like your first customer? I was like, no, I'm really impressed because I thought you were going to kill me. <laughs> and, he, and, he goes, and he laughs and he was like, well, I, I was like, you were taking me to your barn you had no shirt on and you had nothing but gloves and your gloves were covered in what looked like blood. And so he goes, he laughed and we laughed together and he was like, no, no. And he ended up sharing a bunch of stories, ended up feeding me. And I ended up coming back at the end of the summer. And that was actually a strong customer since I learned how to sell by that. Right. Summer. And so there, I had a lot more strong than I did a week at that of point course. of my selling career. And so it was just funny to think about, man, you, you, you don't know who you're going to run into. You can't judge a book by a cover. And hmm. most of the time, it'll always turn out good if you trust your gut. So that was, and that's how it, that's how it ended. At the, end of the, at the end of the summer, he ended up feeding me. What made it funny for me was he ended up giving me a bunch of meat to take home. And it was Austin. And that's so, <laughs> you thought you were going to get murdered and fed to Austin, but the other way around. Yeah, and you were yeah. eating Austin for how long? Was it a ton of meat, right? It wasn't a ton. It was, okay. it was a, he gave me very little, he gave me about, you know, two steaks worth and mm-hmm. like some other stuff to come home with. And, <laughs> but I was really impressed because I knew at that point when you're in the country, if someone offers you some of the, the, their livestock, you're like, wow, you've really considered me family. Like you gave yeah. me your food. That's, that you, that's great. You 
taken care of. So it was, it was funny. That's <laughs> funny. A story for the ages, man. Austin eats Austin and sells a platinum package. Let's go, right? That's funny. Cool, man. Well, awesome, man. Is there any like final parting words that you care to share with the Ponytails audience while we're still here on the air? Um, yeah, man, if you have an idea, if you have a calling, if you feel that you're uh, pursuing something, but you're failing at it, you know, find a mentor, find someone that's, uh, I think it's really important to find people that are ahead of you in life that you can chase after you can seek wisdom from seek wise counsel, you have people in your life that you're doing life with. And then you have maybe one or two people that you're bringing with you, you you never want to try to, you know, hang around a bunch of people that you're trying to lift up because uh, it, it pulls you down. And so that thought pattern of, you know, find people ahead, find people with you, and then find people you can bring. That's awesome, man. Good stuff. Well, Austin, thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it's always great to see your face. Can't wait to see you again since we're only two hours away from each yeah. other. But uh, <laughs> more on that later. Um, for those curious, we've got some really awesome episodes in our lineup this month. Um, maybe you've heard a few things already, but this, um, this Tuesday, right, December 7th, we've got Sarah Maddock on the show, a little TikTok famous human right there. Um, we're excited to have a quirky, um, creative person like herself on, on the episode. And then on Thursday, you, you ever heard of Todd McWhorter, Austin? I have. Yes. I don't know him. Yeah. So he's like number seven or eight all time book salesman. Great, great human. He, he spoke at a GRS too in Denver. And I'm really excited for this episode this Thursday because he's just like a deep soul with goofiness and like huge wisdom to impart. So we're, we're really excited to have him on. And then next week on Sunday, we got Brian Harbin. Um, the following Thursday, we've got Trey George, another legend in the book business. Um, and then we got Nick Henderson, uh, right before the the week for we're taking off for uh, Christmas, and then after that we're we're starting back up again at the end of the month with Radislav Ivanov, uh, Bulgarian. So we're excited. Jam packed month, man. That's what it sounds like. A bunch of hard hitters that are coming on the show. That's awesome. Oh yeah, and you're a hard hitter yourself, man. It's uh it's been a great episode. Thank you all for tuning in for Ponytails episode number seventy one. We'll catch you on the next one, and. Uh, Remember to, I don't know, remember the pony, right? Remember yeah. the pony story. Go looking for those ponies, all right? Thanks for having me on, man. I feel grateful. Goodbye, everyone listening.